Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. These dangerous places, landing their plane and and going to take the gospel to a tribe they've never spoken to before, and then they're killed eventually. Or sometimes we hear the story of how they go to kill these missionaries and the missionaries are inside their tent or their structure out in the middle of nowhere and they begin to pray and ask God for help. There's one story of a tribe that comes to kill them one night and while they're outside, the missionaries are inside praying, asking God for protection so that they might continue to reach these lost people. And eventually they just disappear and time goes on, and many come to start coming to Christ. And years later, they ask, do you remember that night? And they all look at each other, and they nod. And what happened? You came to kill us, right? And they said, yes, but your tent was surrounded with these um, spirit warriors. And we, we decided we better not mess with you. <laughs> you, know, God, you know, God's person here, David Jeremiah says this so, so eloquently. The man of God in the will of God, is immortal until his work is done. Listen, you don't have to be afraid to go out and speak the gospel. God's hand is on your head. Your days are numbered. Someone said there's, a, there's an expiration date behind your ear. I haven't been able to find it. But there's an expiration date for all of us. And listen, you can't change that, and neither will God. He'll protect you all the way through. Our job is is to go and to tell. Verse 8, and their bodies, their dead bodies, will lie in the street of the great city, Jerusalem, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Note the reference to these two cities. Sodom, which uh, illustrates and evokes the meaning of sexual immorality, so Israel is overtaken, Jerusalem is overtaken apparently with sexual immorality at this time. And then he calls them Egypt as well, which illustrates slavery and oppression uh, throughout the Bible. So here they are, they're, they're slaves to sexual immorality, even in God's chosen city with God's chosen people. Jerusalem, the place where Jesus was crucified, will be a place of great sin at this time. Verse 9, then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations, again, these are the Gentile nations, will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. These are the Gentiles, and and, and this word evokes that the whole world will be able to see them. The whole world. Now, just a matter of what, uh, not too many decades ago, this would have been impossible to go live with a shot of these dead bodies laying on the streets of Jerusalem, but now everyone is going to see it. And, and they hate these two so much, they don't, they're not even going to give them a burial. Um, they're just going to leave the bodies right there. Mankind refuses to honor them in any way. This is, a, by the way, a great slap in God's face. These are God's two emissaries, and they murder them and leave their corpses in the street. 
Verse 10, and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry. They're glad that they're dead and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. God was still sending his message of salvation. And in spite of all of this, uh, in spite of his mercy, in spite of his, his great grace, these people murder his prophets. The entire earth will rejoice over seeing the lifeless bodies lying on the streets. This hasn't been possible at least for 60 years probably until 60 years ago with the invention of mass media and live reports. Now you, people will be whipping it up on their phone going, oh good, they're dead. And they'll be able to see this. The world hates them because they confronted the world with their sin and called them to repent and believe in Jesus Because the world lives off a lie, they couldn't bear to hear the truth day in and day out for three and a half years. At their deaths, they celebrated a kind of Christmas tradition of exchanging gifts with one another. What a a perversion of Christmas. Satan always takes what God does and then he perverts it. You ever notice that? We're going to see a lot more of it here in the Sundays to come. He's going to have his own trilogy formed here pretty soon, um, like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Satan, he, you know, he doesn't have an original thought, so he just does what, what God does, and he tries to copy it and, and make it happen. And, of course, it always falls apart. But here, even, they're, they're mimicking and mocking uh, Christmas by giving gifts to one another. Again, slapping God in the face as they shake their fists at him. Jesus called Satan the father of lies. He called him a murderer. And here we see both. Well, we've seen letter A, the purpose of the two witnesses. Letter B, the murders of the two witnesses. Now we see letter C, the resurrection of the two witnesses. The resurrection of the two witnesses. Verse 11. Now after the three and a half days that their corpses are laying there, the breath of life from God entered them. And they stood on their feet, (laughs) and great fear fell on those who saw them. What? (laughs) I mean, talk about a freak out moment. Three and a half days, these dead bodies have been laying there. And suddenly... Whoa. Verse 12, and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. Isn't that what God, what Jesus said to John at the beginning? Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud. God loves clouds. I'm so glad I live in Idaho. We have the best clouds of anywhere I've ever been in my entire life. Debbie is a photographer, you know, a frustrated photographer. She has to take pictures everywhere we go. Oh, look, you know, here's a picture moment. Really, who could have thought of that, you know? And uh, just stand in front of this window. Uh, But she takes pictures of clouds. She just loves them. And, you know, every once in a while, um, something happens. Thunder hits or something. And you look up at where it came from, and you see these beautiful, beautiful clouds. And oftentimes I think, is this it? Are you calling us home right now? They will ascend to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. I love that the enemies saw them. 
In the same hour, there was a great earthquake. Earthquakes, oh, they're full here in, in Revelation, but they're in the Bible as well. It's to cause people to be shaken out of their complacent attitude towards God. He's trying to get their attention. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city of Jerusalem fell. A tenth. If you've ever been to this great city, that is going to be something to behold. A tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. Clearly, not repenting, but crying out, God did this. Only God could do this. And yet their hearts, we don't hear a repentant. Verse 14, you remember those those three woes that we talked about several weeks ago? Well, here's woe number three. We're still waiting on the third woe to come. Verse 14, the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Imagine the fear that will consume the hearts of these rebellious people, yet not enough that they will repent and call Jesus their Savior and their Lord and cry out for his salvation. They won't do it. These are hardened hearts, much like Pharaoh in Egypt. You just think, wow, you really, you're still not going to listen to Moses after all this? I mean, your, your children are dead now? You still won't? Wow. Man's heart, it can be such a rock. With these two witnesses raptured away now, Israel has no advocate in the world, and the world soon turns on this nation, this tiny little nation. You look at it on a map, you have to zoom in. You have to keep zooming in to find Israel because there's all these great nations around it, and they're just this little postage stamp thing on a great map that you can hardly find. The world now is going to turn against them because of what the witnesses did for three and a half years, these Jewish witnesses, and because um, of, of just their anger towards God. Israel has always represented God's people, and the world will hate them for that. Antichrist will direct all of his hatred towards God's people at that moment. More on that in a couple of chapters. First, we've heard the testimony of a mighty angel. Then second, the testimony of these two witnesses we just saw. And now we move on to the seventh and final trumpet judgment where we hear, third, the testimony of the 24 elders. The testimony of the 24 elders. We've awaited this seventh angelic trumpeteer since chapter 8. Verse 11, and he is finally ready to step forward, draw his breath, and blow his trumpet. And when he does, three, we see three amazing events take place. Here they are. Letter A, we see the declaration of victory. The declaration of victory. Verse 15, when the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven. Now, I believe this is, this is you and I. If you're saved, if you're a Christian, uh, you've been raptured away from all of this. We've said this over and over and over through our study. We're, we're in heaven when all this is going on. But the, the, these voices, I, I strongly believe, are all the believers. This choir in heaven is going to shout 
because this uh, of what, what, is, what is coming here, I won't get ahead of myself. And they were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. It's a great thing. You want to be a part of this choir. Don't be left out. Of course, victory was won back at the cross, but God has allowed Satan to rule the world within the boundaries laid out by our Lord. But at the seventh sounding of the trumpet, all of heaven declares a total victory over the evil one forevermore. Have you ever seen the movies? You know, I, I like war movies, especially old, you know, Braveheart and, and, uh, and, and movies like that. But when a battle is won, what do they do? They start blowing the trumpet. They start telling us so that all the soldiers and warriors on the field that are, that are still fighting, they hear that and they know, ah, we got them. This is a done deal. It's encouraging. It kind of pushes you forward in the battle. Hey, we've got this. We've already won it. Just finish your skirmish and, and this is a done deal. The trumpet is blowing and all of heaven's it, uh, you know, people are crying out that God is one. God is one. He shall reign forever. Jesus Christ is victorious. So letter A, we see the declaration of victory. And letter B, we see the declaration of worship now. What follows victory, but awesome, awesome worship. Last night, we, we saw a great victory in the lives of so many people that had come forward. There's nothing, I, I tell you, it never gets old. If you haven't been to a Harvest Crusade or any crusade, you need to come tonight and you need to bring someone that you care about that doesn't know Christ and, and just see what, what will happen. You know, as I went to the floor, to, to, uh, they asked me not to, ask pastors not to give out Bibles. We need you on the perimeter of, of, the, of the floor in case someone needs uh, intense counseling, you know, something happens, uh, we need to be able to step forward and, and talk to these people. Um, and so I just went out into the, into the crowd, and I'm looking into the eyes of people just in tears. Whole families coming down with their kids, and they're all, you know, crying because they've been touched by God. Their lives have been changed forevermore. Their future address isn't anywhere, you know, that it used to be. They've got a new whole address in an eternity with Jesus Christ now. And, and you just see this, as tears run down their face, this great joy, this great relief. And, and certainly after this great victory, you need great worship. And so the worship team got back up there and we worshiped even more, and, and then this morning, just to, to sing the words of these songs that Nicole and the team did, just, oh, it just reminded me of this great victory from last night. Now, letter B, we see the declaration of worship. And the 24, this is verse 16, and the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God. Now, remember, this is the elder, the elders are believers. They, they, a representation of believers. They fall on their face and they worship God. And here's what they said. We give thanks, 
O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. The elders are so excited because the time of final judgment has arrived. The elders, uh, they, they leap off their thrones and they fall on their face and they worship Jesus for at least three reasons. Here they are. Number one, because Jesus reigns over all, they said. Jesus, you reign over all. They just fall on the ground before him. You reign over all. And number two, because Jesus rules righteously. He has kept that ruling And he's been patient. His father's been patient. But finally, he's ruled. And it is righteous that the way he rules, it's perfect. And number three, because Jesus rewards abundantly. He rewards abundantly. In Revelation 4, they worship him as creator. In Revelation 5, they worship him as redeemer. And here in Revelation 11, they worship him as victorious, conqueror, king of kings, and lord of lords. The lion is revealed, and they cry out for him. Something that caught my attention is this. Why would the nations be angry, it says, and the nations were angry? God has blessed them throughout history. I mean, look at just about every you know, nation that you ever look at, godless or, or, or uh, you know, those that follow God to some extent. God has blessed them throughout history. God has provided for them. And then God gave them his one and only son as a sacrifice for sin. Jesus' death is our salvation, our atonement for our sin. So why are they angry? Here's why I believe they are. And this really, it it, it really comes all the way down to the macro and the micro where we see people, what's the ultimate reason someone rejects Christ? And when you talk to them about salvation, that they get angry. Have you ever witnessed to somebody that just right away, you see it in their jaw and you go, oh, here we go. This guy is not taking this well. What I'm giving them is hope. What I'm giving them uh, or or offering them is salvation. What I'm giving them or offering them is, is a new hope, a new chance at life. And yet you see their eyes squint and their jaw gets set and they are angry. But here it is because they want to rule their own lives, but they want God's blessing. And you can't have both. You can't have it your way. This isn't Burger King. You get one or the other. You choose God, which means you have to repent. You get off your throne and allow him to get on it, and you, you follow him as Lord and Savior in your life. Or you remain on your throne and you rule your own world, but the blessing is going to be short-lived. You can't find your purpose You can't find real joy. Oh, you can find little pieces of it here and there. But I'll tell you, go ask someone who's rich and famous. 
and there's not a lot of joy in their life. They're always trying to get to that next thing. Well, maybe this will make me happy. All these oligarchs that we're reading about. I didn't even know the word oligarch. I had to look it up. What's an oligarch? Well, you know, extremely rich and wealthy, you know, a ruler uh, through, the, through a ruler's blessing, I guess. They're allowed to make all these billions of dollars that they make, and they've got their yachts, and they've got their, you know, 14 castles or whatever, but they're always looking for that, the next thing in life. They're not truly joyful. Psalm 2, 1 through 3 reveals this to us. David writes, why do the nations, now he, again, here's his word, Gentile, why do the nations rage? And the people plot a vain thing. And the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, none other than Jesus, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces. They feel that God is going to put all these you know, restrictions on them. Talk to people, and, and I don't want to be a Christian. I'm free. No, you're not. You're not free. You're, you're in bondage, actually. The, the opposite is true. No, you put yourself, you need, you need God. You need, you know, he's going to put all these, he's going to ruin your fun and, and all of this. He's going to take away things that uh, I've earned, and, and I'm not doing that. You, got, you Christians must be in bondage or, or willing to go. And it's complete opposite. It's the lie of Satan, right? We're set free at, at, at salvation. We're released from the bondage of having to pursue all these things in, an, in order to pursue happiness. But now that we have come to Christ, we find joy in him. We're set free. Let us break their bonds. Who's there? Well, that's God and his son. Oh, and you know, it's, it's the triune God. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Satan and the world will not be satisfied unless they've broken away from God and are ruling themselves. I get to say what goes on in my life. I'll rule myself, thank you very much. If you can't do that, you need a crutch, you go right ahead. But I'm going to rule myself. That's what the world says. It's the heart of every human, the desire of self-rule. Letter A, we see the declaration of victory. We see, uh, letter B, we see the declaration of worship, and now we see the declaration of presence. The focus of worship now turns to God's presence with his children, his forever family. Like any good father, our heavenly father wants to enjoy his children directly in their presence. Not a phone call, not FaceTime, not, uh, not a tweet, but an intimate relationship with us. God made that possible by sacrificing his one and only son for us. Jesus' death atoned for our sin and opened up heaven. A bridge was made with Jesus Christ, with his death. When he died, he bridged the gap that we couldn't make. We couldn't jump across. We were on one side. God was on the other. We were on, on the sinner's side. We were on the death side. But God is on the side of life. How do we bridge this gap? Jesus made the way. He became the bridge. The Ark of the Covenant was originally placed inside the Holy of Holies beyond a veil that man could never see or touch. It was outside of man's reach. But when Jesus paid mankind's sin debt, 
The veil was torn from top to bottom. It's as if God reached down and tore this, this veil that, that was the intermediate place that kept them from God, and he tore it in half. We get to live life inside the curtain now. Isn't that great? We get to live life inside the veil. We get to walk into, with great reverence hopefully, into the King of Kings courtroom. We're invited, come on in, like a child. Come on in. Yes, it's good to see you. What do you need? Let's just spend some time together. It's all yours. It's all ours if we but repent. Turn away from I'm going to rule my life to God, you, you rule my life. You take me where you want me, and I'll follow you, and I'll listen to you. I'll read your word, and I'll walk with you. And God says, yes, this is what I've made for you. You were not made to live life apart from God. That thing, that hole that Hollywood and, and everyone else is trying to fill with you know, mega yachts and, and uh, cars and where we live and, and, and you know, all these fame, fortune, all, anything that you can imagine, drugs, alcohol, a relationship. We just try to stuff them in there. And yet God's going, no, no, no. You can only find joy and purpose and meaning in your life if you'll put me in there. Because when he rules here, everything else is taken care of. Amen. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.